Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good, e- good evening, everyone on the uh, East Coast, um, Central Coast of the United States, the central part of the United States, and of course, if you're on the West Coast, it's still not the evening yet, but it's uh, 3 o'clock. Uh, this is Kennard Brown, and then also Mountain Time uh, is not evening yet, but it's 4 o'clock. This is uh, Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This is a special uh, Friday edition. I'm going to see how this goes. I may end up doing this every Friday evening, but uh, like I said, I'm going to see how it goes and so forth. Uh, the title of this Bible study is The Message of John the Baptist, or your canon, the Immerser, for those who are into Hebraics. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 80. Uh, his message is a very significant message, and uh, hopefully you'll understand why after I uh, give this Bible study. Um, things are heating up in the world. Uh, there's things going on in Israel right now. You need to pay attention to that. I think one of the best websites to keep track of what's uh, going on in Israel is www.watch.org.com, also www.israeliradio.com. Uh, they actually broadcast from Bethel, which uh, is near uh, Samaria and where the ten tribes were located. So those are two websites to, to pay attention to if you really are truly concerned about Jerusalem, which you should be, uh, because that's where everything's going to start and everything's going to end. Now, I've been doing for the past... Uh, how many weeks, I guess three or four or five weeks, a series of Bible studies that tell us how do we worship the Most Holy God. I just learned from a friend of mine, Phil, today. made me realize that worship is a form of obedience. So uh, when, uh, worship without obedience is really no worship at all. So you know, we have to obey Him. And worshiping has a lot to do with obedience toward um, our Creator. And what we've been going on, this is a summary of what we've been studying here. Uh, we have been studying the importance of uh, recognizing all the various Jewish traditions that don't make the, the law of God or the teachings of God void or non uh, of non-effect. And we looked at some of the um, Jewish traditions that you may not be familiar with, like Purim, which is actually in the Bible, in Esther 9, verses 20 to 32. Hanukkah, which many people don't realize is talking about the Great Tribulation. 
uh, a type of the Great Tribulation happened during the times of the Maccabees with Antiochus Epiphanes uh, sacrificing pig juice on the altar and putting a statue of Zeus near the holy place or inside the holy place. And then in A.D. 70, another type of Great Tribulation occurred when the destruction of Jerusalem happened. And then Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 24, there would be, verse 15, that there would be another type of Hanukkah event. Hanukkah was derived from these events. And Hanukkah, when you really understand it, helps us to prepare for persecution. Those who follow Yeshua will be severely persecuted. I'm severely persecuted. And whenever you obey the true Jesus of the Bible, Jesus is his English name, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, you will be persecuted. And then uh, I talked about the Elijah message uh, last week, actually a couple of weeks ago. And the Elijah message involves fathers reconciling with their children, their sons and their daughters. And um, it's not just going back to the fact that we need to keep the entire law of Moses, which is the law of God, but it's also helping us understand that fathers need to reconcile with their sons and, and daughters. And then sons and daughters need to reconcile with their fathers because the fathers are the leader of uh, their family and men are the leaders of society, despite what a lot of feminists think. But God doesn't care what you think, and I don't either. Um, I only care about what the Bible, he does care what you think, but but if you think the wrong way, that's what I'm saying. If you are against what the Bible says, and God doesn't really hold your opinion to any value. So anyway, uh, and then last week I was talking about the reconciliation of fathers and sons and the importance of the Elijah message. And today we're going to talk about, I talked about the, actually the first Elijah the prophet, that he was considered a troublemaker. Uh, he lived in a time where there was great apostasy. Uh, Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of Israel, uh, existed at that time, and his wife was one of the most wicked women ever in the history of civilization, uh, Jezebel. And he he was really the only true prophet at that time. Uh, there were several false prophets, and then Jezebel killed all the other prophets. So that, that was the kind of environment that he was in. And I explained that last week. Okay, so uh, as far as world events, uh, things are still speeding up here toward a serious climax, and we need to be paying attention to the news, and particularly I would suggest you go and pay attention to InfoWars.com. That's www.InfoWars, I-N-F-O-W, I'm sorry, I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S.com. That's I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S.com, InfoWars. Is done by Alex Jones, very excellent uh, source of real, true information, most of it anyway. Uh, that's, uh, you can link it up with the Bible as far as uh, what's going on and verify that, yes, God did say this would happen. God said that that would happen. Also, I suggest you Google uh, Gerald Salente and listen to uh, his uh, free videos that he has to keep up with the financial. He, he's an expert at at the forecasting of financial issues and problems. He's not, he doesn't call himself a prophet, but what he does, he looks at, and this is what anyone can do basically, he looks at the social conditions of of the world and he, um, what he does, a good job, 
and doing is uh, estimating what's going to occur. Okay, all right, so just keep keep watching what's going on in the news right now and be praying that you'll be worthy to escape all, the, all these things as Luke chapter 21 states. So be praying that you'll be able to escape all these things. Now, we do have some tour portions here, too. Let me go over those here quickly. I totally forgot about that. Um, I'm just going to go over a summary of that, and then we'll get to the Bible study today. So I'm going to use Chabad again, as I tend to do when I'm giving a series of Bible studies or a Bible study on a particular subject. Usually I'll, I'll go into a little detail with the Torah readings, but because of me giving this series of Bible studies on how to worship the, the Most Holy God, then I'm going to just do a summary here. So let me take a look here, and then we'll get to this here in about a minute Okay, so let's look at the summary here for this. All right, this this portion is about um, Isaac and Rebecca. It's, uh, it's called Todot, T-O-L-D-O-T, Todot. And Isaac and Rebecca endure 20 childless years until their prayers are answered, and Rebecca conceives. She experiences a difficult pregnancy as the children struggle inside her. God tells her that there are two nations in your womb and that the younger will prevail over the elder. Esau emerges first. Jacob is born clutching Esau's heel. Esau grows up to be a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob is a wholesome man, a dweller in a tent of learning. Isaac favors Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. So <laughs> shouldn't be favoring one child or the other, but they did that, unfortunately. And then returning, exhausted and hungry from the hunt one day, Esau sells his birthright, his rights as the firstborn, to Jacob for a pot of red lentil stew. In Gerah, in the land of the Philistines, Isaac presents Rebecca as his sister out of fear that, okay, so he inherited this issue that... Um, or a sin that Abraham did, he did the same thing. So he just did, he just copied what his father did. So it shows you that fathers can be very influential, negative or positive, in the reference to their sons. But anyway, Isaac presents Rebecca as his sister out of fear that he would be killed by someone coveting her beauty. He farms the land and reopens the wells dug by his father Abraham and digs a series of his own wells over the first two. There is strife with the Philistines, but the waters of the third well are enjoyed in tranquility. Esau marries two Hittite women. Isaac grows old and blind and expresses his desire to bless Esau before he dies. While Esau goes off to hunt for his father's favorite food, Rebekah dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes, covers his arms and neck with ghost skins to simulate the feel of his hairier brother, prepares a similar dish, and sends Jacob to his father. Jacob receives his father's blessings for the dew of the heaven and the fat of the land and mastery over his brother. When Esau returns and the deception is revealed, all Isaac can do for his weeping son is to predict that he will live by his sword and that Jacob, and that when Jacob falters, the younger brother will forfeit his supremacy over the elder. Jacob leaves home for Charon 
to flee Esau's wrath and to find a wife in the family of his mother's brother Laban, or Laban. Esau marries a third wife, Machalatha, the daughter of Ishmael. Okay, so that that's a summary of that Torah section, Genesis twenty five nineteen, Genesis twenty eight verse nine. So I just wanted to uh to go over that. And looks like I do have a call, so this does work. I just wanted to make sure it works. Let me see. Let me click on here. Okay, you're on the air. Just checking for you to see if this works. Okay, it does work. I just wanted to make sure that right, it does work. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Hey, I was just checking to see if people can call in. So, um, And as far as calling in, you can call in like um, I'll let you know when it's time to call in. And then you can call in if you want. Okay, so let me get back to what I was talking about here. I mean, let's go to the tour portion now which is um, Malachi chapter 1 to Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. So let me see what uh, they say about this. Habat. said, this week's Hathor opens with a mention of the tremendous love God harvests for the children of Jacob and the retribution he will visit upon the children of Esau who persecuted their cousins. This follows the theme of this week's Torah reading, whose two uh, protagonists are Jacob and Esau. The prophet Malachi then rebukes the Kohanim, the priests who offer blemish and uh, emaciated animals on God's altar. Were you to offer it to our governor, would he be pleased or would he favor you? Or, oh, that there were even one among you that would close the doors of the temple and that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. The Hathor ends with a strong enjoiner to the Kohanim to return to the original covenant that God had made with their ancestor Aaron the high priest. True teaching was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips in peace and equity. He went with me and he brought back many from iniquity. Nutshell for Machar Chadash Hator. And then uh, this is another section here that um, Jews traditionally quote. Uh, it says when the Shabbat falls on the day before Rosh Chodesh, or the new moon, the head of the Jewish new month, we read a Hathor that begins with the words, Machar Todesh. So, in other words, tomorrow is the new moon. So anyway, that's First Samuel chapter 20, verses 18 to 42. So that's the summary of Malachi chapter 1 to Malachi 2, verse 7. And then in the Renewed Covenant, or the New Testament, that many people consider that the New Testament, uh, John chapter 8, verse 39, turn there. And this is about uh, Abraham and so forth. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children... You will be doing the works Abraham did. This is uh, John chapter 8, verse 39 to 49. So he said, if you are Abraham's children, you will be doing the works of, 
uh, doing the works Abraham did. And this is, uh, he was arguing with them, going back and forth. They were saying he had a demon and all that. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. So we have one father, even God. God Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the creation. And has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. So he originated lies. It didn't come from God. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So the uh, reason why I'm quoting this scripture because uh, it's going to lead into what I'm going to talk about as far as John the Baptist's uh, unique message, uh, similar to the first Elijah's message. He, in a sense, was the second type of Elijah. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and this message is not very well liked by the public. It's the truth, and people don't want to hear the truth. Uh, they really don't. Uh, let, let me quote a scripture here to help you understand that. Uh, this is a prophecy. And if, if any of you are wondering why I'm quoting the prophet so much, it's because in Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says the the church or the assembly is is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Isaiah is one of the prophets. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And I... I you know, many popular ministers are asked this question, why did God allow suffering? Why does God allow this? Why does God allow that? Well, this is one of the this is one of the scriptures they should know about to be able to tell people why he allows suffering. Let me uh, quote this scripture again, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Many people believe that, that, that God doesn't hear and he doesn't care. And verse 2, but this is the problem, folks, and, and hardly anyone wants to address this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Whenever you sin, you're separating yourself from God. He doesn't like sin. Sin is like boo-boo to him, okay? No one likes to be around boo-boo, right? I don't know of any unless you half out your mind or whatever. No one likes to be around boo-boo. It stinks, right? Well, think of sin as boo-boo to God. He doesn't like that. It stinks. He just he just hates it. You know, I, I mean, it may be funny the way I'm describing it, but... I'm just trying to to get you to understand how much God hates sin. Okay? Verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and just like when you see boo-boo, you run away from it. God doesn't want to be around sin. Okay? Son, if you want to laugh, go ahead, okay? Anyway, and your sons, <laughs> and not your sons, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Okay? So, 
the sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. So the sins cause him not to be around you. He doesn't want to listen to you. He doesn't care about what you want when you sin. Sin totally just gets him disinterested in you. And you don't want him to be disinterested in you, folks. You don't want that. Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Whenever I read this, I think about all the abortions that are allowed in this country every single year since 1973, one of the most abominable, illogical, and stupid court decisions in this nation. I think it's Roe versus Wade, right? And, And ever since then, we have legally allowed little babies to be murdered. And in most cases, it's because women just don't want to be bothered with the responsibility of taking care of a child. They want to have an abortion so they can continue to have fun and have sex out of wedlock and just, you know, do their thing, right? Well, that's unfortunate because when you take the responsibility of having sex, then you're you're in serious territory there and and you need to take that seriously women and men because in most cases well yeah in all cases uh, a woman can't produce a child without a male sperm although they have created innovative ways where you can do test tube babies and all that but the normal natural way to have babies is through the sexual act so and in verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. And that's interesting, your fingers with iniquity, because surgeons have to use their fingers, right, to go into the, the womb and kill the baby, right? So, um, But this is not just talking about um, abortion. I mean, men and women use their fingers to kill people. It's like with uh, a gun, right? You just pull the trigger, right? Anyway, your lips have spoken lies and your tongue mutters wickedness. And this is how he views our 21st century society today. It was it was like that back then. It's far worse today. Because Yeshua, Jesus, compares this these days to the days of Noah. And if you don't believe me, look at Luke chapter 17. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 59. No one enters suit justly. In other words, it's talking about our corrupt court system today. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. They're swift. They don't hesitate. They they want to shed innocent blood, and their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. They don't know the way to peace. What's the way to peace? Psalm 119, verse 165, uh, great peace have those who uh, love the law or teachings and nothing shall offend them. When you don't keep the law of God, there's not going to be peace. They have made their roads crooked. No one treads on them knows peace. 
Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. So, you know, this this is how he looks at us, and I want to get to the truth part. Well, let me just get to the rest of this here, because this is a perfect description of our society and the world, for that matter. We all grow like bear, growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from fouling our God, seeking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172, is keeping all the commandments of God. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And I can understand that one. So he's saying that if you want to depart from evil in this wicked society, you make yourself a prey. You're persecuted. And then he says right here, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation. The arm, God's arm, that's another way of talking about the Messiah. So he had to, to, to do what no man could do and he was the perfect man but anyway i read this to you to help you understand how god looks at society today very few people love the truth you know very few people love the truth very few people like what i say on this program but i'm trying to reach the people who love the truth i know they're out there it's not that many according to matthew let's turn to matthew chapter 7 Most people want to be told lies, whether they realize it or not. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So picture life as, as you have two gates, and you have one where people are just going in there and just dropping down to their death, basically. There's a lot of people that are going through that gate, going through that gate. And then verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So it's only going to be the few who are going to embrace the truth. There's really only going to be the few to listen to this program. I know that. This is not a popularity contest. I'm just trying to, to reach people who have a love of the truth and don't want to argue God when they see scriptures uh, that understand that the majority of the Bible has been translated correctly. And that God is not a liar when he said he would preserve his words. I'm looking for those type of people that, that take and tremble at God's words and, and take it seriously and realize that God is smart enough to preserve his words and he's not going to allow human beings to pervert it so much that uh, someone like myself or perhaps you or someone else that desire to know the truth can't find it. And I get people saying, well, we're not going to know uh, what we need to know until Messiah comes back. I mean, where is that in the Bible? I, I don't I don't see that scripture where it says we're not going to know anything or not going to be able to, to find out the truth until Messiah comes back. Matter of fact, there's a scripture in John 16, verse 13, says that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. So who are you going to believe? 
the scriptures or somebody that has their theory about what they think uh, God is going to do. And then and I get people say, well, you're correcting them. Well, what does the scripture say about correcting? I mean, you know, <laughs> Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 7, this is what our Lord Savior said. Starting in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, correct him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There was a situation, too. Uh, I think his name is Apollos. He was a, uh, a follower of John the Baptist, and he was making certain errors. Let me see if I can find that. He was preaching incorrectly. So some people corrected him. There's nothing wrong with correcting people if you know <laughs> they're not preaching correctly. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, if somebody hears me preaching incorrectly, please correct me, but I'm going to challenge you. You better show me out of the Bible that I need to be corrected. Because if you don't show me out of the Bible, I'm not going to believe you. And you got to show me the Scriptures. And if you can show that to me, I shut up. I don't have an issue with it. But I have to be shown the Scriptures. Okay, here we go. I think I found it here. Yeah, right here in Acts 18, verse 14. Here's an example of someone who was very good with the Bible, but he had some things that he was saying that uh, needed to be corrected. People are so afraid of correction, and yet the heart of the gospel message is repent. Repent, hebraically, means change. So we all got some issues. We all got some things that we need to change. Acts 18, verse 24, a, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus, and he was a Jew too. Born in the city of Alexandria, he was an educated man who knew the scriptures well. He knew the scriptures well. Verse 25, he had been taught about the Lord and was always excited to talk to people about Jesus. Now, this is a good example, folks. This guy was excited. You know, what's that word excited? Okay, let's look it up in the original Greek. He was fervent. It means he was boiling. I mean, he was just earnest to talk about the scriptures. And, and right now, people are earnest about buying Christmas gifts. That's the kind of earnest that God wants us toward. It, wants us to have toward His scriptures, not buying Christmas gifts and falling asleep during a Bible study. He wants you to, to, to boil for His words. Instead, we boil for food, we boil to look at movies, we we boil to to buy gifts and, and lie to our children and tell them that there's a big fat man that's going to come down the chimney. And, and that doesn't exist. And yet we say it's a white lie. Where in the Bible does it say it's okay to lie at all? I don't see that. I know Jews may teach that, but I don't I don't see that in the Bible. You know, God allows it, but... It's still a sin, nonetheless. Um, so in, in verse 25, he had been taught about the Lord and was always excited to talk to people about Jesus. When he taught, what he taught was right, but the only baptism he knew about was the baptism John taught. So he was lacking in certain teachings, okay, in certain truth. He taught what he knew. So... God did not hold that against him. 
verse 26. Apollos began to speak very boldly in the synagogue, so he, he preached in the Jewish synagogues. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak, and this is a husband and wife team, all right, they took him to their home and helped him understand the way of God better. So his wife, Aquila's wife, and, and him, okay, they both taught him as a team. Anyway, verse 27, Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, so the believers in Ephesus helped him. They wrote a letter to the Lord's followers in Achaia and asked them to accept Apollos. When he arrived there, he was a great help to those who had believed in Jesus because of God's grace. He argued very strongly. and I don't know if that word means argued. Let me take a look here. He mightily convinced. Yeah, he proved. That's what that means. Okay. I don't know if that word was uh, translated correctly, but I'm using the uh, English, uh, not the easy to read. Yeah, I'm using the English easy to read version. Let me use the English standard version. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. That's a better translation. Showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, I want you to notice, I want you to notice, verse 26. Says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, what did they do? They just let him continue to teach here? No. They took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, folks. I mean, it's, it's, it's love to, if you notice somebody is off track or not teaching correctly, it's love to go correct them. But that, I, I find among the Christian churches and also... I find among the um, messianic groups that when you try, try to correct somebody, they get offended. They get offended by it. They don't want to be corrected. And then they don't have this attitude in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And in verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. In verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever calls one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So that's a warning. <laughs> but we all have to be like little children. We all... Uh, have to be humble and be willing to be corrected when there is a need for us to be corrected. So that that's a very important thing to to acknowledge and to learn. And in Proverbs nine verse nine it says, "Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning." So that's, that's very important to understand. And then Proverbs 1, verse 5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Okay, so I just wanted to emphasize that. Now let's focus on John the Baptist, his message, and what's the significance of his message, and so forth. Now keep in mind, so far as we've been studying about Elijah, he was considered a troublemaker. He lived in the time when there was great apostasy, and he was one of the few people that were actually trying to obey God during that period of time. And he struggled, and he wasn't exactly rich. And during the end times, there's going to be people that are going to be 
uh, following this Elijah spirit, uh, which would be in the same similar type of environment as I proved to you last week. So let's focus on um, John the Baptist and his unique message because it's a type of the end time Elijah message, one that I, you know, I really support and preach to the best of my ability. Okay. So we're talking about um, Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 80. We're going to break this, this scripture down because it's a very important scripture to analyze here. So this is uh, Zechariah. Uh, that was Yochanan, um, the Immerser, or John the Baptist's father. And he is uh, actually... Um, stating something under under the inspiration of God here about uh, John the Baptist in verse 76. And he said, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So the Most High is God the Father. So he was a prophet of God the Father. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So if you're preparing someone's ways, obviously you are in support of that individual's ways you're preparing for. In verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation. So the Elijah message is about knowledge of salvation to his people. It's also about forgiveness of sins. So it's about the knowledge of salvation, and it's also about the forgiveness of sins. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So the Elijah message also has something to do with the mercy of God. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. It's also about giving light to those who are in darkness. Light is synonymous with the Messiah, and darkness is synonymous with the devil. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, because that's what the devil is, he's all about death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Okay? So, the Elijah message is about the knowledge of salvation. It's about the forgiveness of sins. It's about the tender mercy of God. It's about giving light or knowledge of the Messiah to those who sit in the devil's darkness or in darkness. That's what Darkness has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the devil. And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the Elijah message is also about the way of peace. And what is the way of peace? Keeping the commandments. So that's what the Elijah message is all about. It's not just about keeping the commandments. Again, let's go over it again. The Elijah message is about the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the tender mercies of God, having compassion. Uh, it's about the Messiah and how through the Messiah you're able to conquer the devil. It's also about peace. Verse 80, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Okay, so we we should understand, I'm trying to break this down to you, what the Elijah message is all about. Now, in reference to this also, if you go back, I quoted this scripture in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 17. The Elijah message is also about the reconciliation of fathers, sons, and daughters. 
verse 17, actually verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the people, for the, for the Lord, a people prepared. So it's also about the reconciliation of families, for families to reconcile. As I've explained to you, families are a mess right now. Uh, there's many uh, families that don't have fa physical fathers, but there are quite a few families that do have fathers, and they don't act like fathers. They don't teach their children properly, as I proved last week. They don't teach them out of the Bible. They teach them what they think is right, and that's <laughs> you're playing guessing games. Uh, you kind of like playing dice, basically, when you're doing that with morality. You're just throwing the dice and hoping that you're right or wrong. You know, you're hoping that you're right. Of course, you 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 hope uh, that you're right all the time, but I guarantee you that when you play with morality that way, you're going to be wrong too. So anyway, let's turn to Matthew chapter three. Let's let's get a little more insight on uh, this this man John the Baptist, which I guess only the Baptist Church preach about, you know, and, and significance, right? I mean, they preach about John the Baptist a lot, right? Or did they? They didn't. Okay, I was wrong. I didn't know that. Because my wife was a Baptist, so that's why I'm asking her. So they call themselves Baptists, and yet they don't really focus on his message like they should. That's too bad. Anyway, okay, Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three. I'm reading this in the English Standard version of the Bible. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, which is the West Bank today. Repent, which means to change, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, and he was actually in the wilderness, and he was crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And this is pretty interesting about that. I want to go in a little further detail about that. And this is from the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern in reference to Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Camel's hair was woven into coarse cloth by the poor who could not afford wool garments. While the rich could afford ornate waistbands, a poor man could wear a poor man would wear a leather belt. Thus Yochanan, as Hebrew for John, like many prophets before him, identified with the poor. So all the prophets identify with the poor. But the leather belt also elicits association with Elijah, because Elijah had a leather belt, two kings, one verse eight. Yochanan lived outside the normal economic framework of the country so that he could be wholly devoted to his prophetic task, which is pretty interesting there. He, he was so focused on what he wanted to do and what he had to do, what his mission was. Okay. Getting back to Matthew chapter 3. And so his this is interesting that God gave you what his diet is, <laughs> or was rather, now, verse 4, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And what I wrote here in my article, uh, the work of God here, there was, well, let me just quote here. So John was from my article here. It says, John, it's called the work of God under the section, um, John the Baptist, a type of the 21st century Elijah. Says John was very popular in the Holy Scriptures, plainly state that all or most of Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region around the Jordan came to him. What was the estimated combined population of Jerusalem? What was the estimated combined population population rather of Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around Jordan in the days of John the Baptist? Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around the John around the Jordan is Palestine. There were about 700,000 Jews that lived in Palestine during the time of John and Yeshua. This is found in Haley's Bible Handbook, 25th edition, A Brief History of the Holy Land and the Jews, page 1022. Most of the 700,000 Jews were drawn to John the Baptist's message of repentance. John the Baptist's work of uh, God was very significant and effective. It was not a little work that did not have impact. So that's pretty interesting. Um the fact that Yeshua actually came on the earth at that time, I, it would it would have to be a significant work, and it was at that particular period of time. And as we find toward the end, those who will be preaching the Elijah, because the Elijah message really, folks, is God's message, okay? And God's message is going to be preached, and it's going to get people's attention, so much so that people are going to be jumping up and down when the two witnesses are killed. And I know the two witnesses are also going to be they're considered prophets, and they're going to be preaching the Elijah message in the end time. Because God said if this message wasn't preached, that the whole earth would be destroyed. Okay, uh, back to Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 3, rather. And in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 3, it says, And they were baptized and immersed by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, the Pharisees of the modern Jews today, uh, the Orthodox Jews, the rabbis, and, and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, I need to see something. I need to see some action backing up your belief. Verse 9, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able... From these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's telling us that if you don't bear fruit like a tree, you're going to be cut up and thrown in the fire. So this is a serious message. And I don't hear this message being preached that much by hardly anyone. I immerse you or baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You certainly don't want to be baptized with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, 
with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so that gives you a little synopsis of John the Baptist. Let's look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 2. And during the high priesthood of Annas and Capias, the word of God came to John, uh, John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Now, this hasn't happened yet. This is going to happen in the future. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places shall be shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, they certainly, all flesh did not see the salvation of God during the days of um, John the Baptist, so you know that this is a future prophecy. Verse 7, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, the tree, of course, is a human being, therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then in verse 10, this wasn't uh, said in Matthew chapter 3. That's the reason why I'm reading this. In verse 10 of Luke chapter 3, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And in verse 11, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics, is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So that is how you repent, folks. Uh, you start to do something. Not uh, putting a head covering on or used to filling and, or <laughs> some other external way of worship. Uh, God wants you to really worship, as I discovered uh, recently in James chapter 1, verse 27, when well, actually, hold your place here. Let's turn to James 1, verse 27. James 1, verse 27. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans who are, I just got to talking about people who are fatherless, as many people. No wonder God talks about orphans so much, because he knew that there would be many families without fathers and mothers. Uh, and it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To to keep yourself unstained from the world means that there's a lot in the world to be stained, to be uh, stained from. So these are the two things. That's, this is what God values, what religion is. But the interesting thing, you look up this word religion, in the original Greek, it means worship, observance, worshiping. So... That's how we really worship God is by serving our fellow man. That's what the Elijah message is all about. That's what the Canon and the Immersive message is all about. And that's what the end time message of God, the Elijah message, which is really God's message, should be in the end time. That's what the gospel message should be about. If you practice pure worshiping, true worshiping, which is taking care of people and helping people, then, and then keeping yourself unspotted from the world, which is really learning how to keep God's commandments, if you do both of those things, then you are setting yourself in a very good uh, position to be in this kingdom. That's what the Elijah message is all about. 
it's a message of reconciliation and how do families reconcile well they reconcile by obeying god putting god first and being merciful to the poor and being merciful to the afflicted that's what true worship is all about Okay, let's go back to Luke, chapter 2, or chapter 3, rather. All right, and then in verse 12, the tax collectors also came to, to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to him, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages, which <laughs> a lot of people aren't, but we need to be content with our wages. That doesn't mean you shouldn't improve and and put yourself in a situation to make more money, but you shouldn't just be so focused, oh, i got to make more money, i got to make more money. It shouldn't be a, a big, so much, it shouldn't consume you so much that you forget about God. Let's put it that way. You should always improve, but not, let, not that. Do not let that be the main thing you focus on so much. It's just making more money, making more money, making more money. Do it in balance. Okay. I'm not saying if you're working a McDonald's job that you shouldn't try to improve yourself. I mean, McDonald's, unfortunately, unless a friend of mine told me they're paying $25 an hour. Well, if they're paying $25, you can make a living off of it. But typically, McDonald's, you're not going to be paid $25 an hour. Uh, it's not going to be enough money for you to support a family. So you, you're going to have to do better. But you should thank God anyway that you are you're making some money. But you should always grow in grace and knowledge. You should always try to improve yourself to get a better job so that you can support your family. Okay? And well, I call that the principle of livable, L-I-V-A-B-L-E, income. Livable income. Okay, so, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. And verse 15, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh Yochanan or John said the same thing, basically. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And just Jesus, just, since he prepared the way for his first coming, of course, he just picked off where John left off at. He was the forerunner, John. Okay, uh, John chapter 5. Starting in verse 35. Let me start in verse 32. John chapter 5, verse 32. This is all about John here. John 5, verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, this is interesting because he's saying that Yochanan is a witness. You notice that? He's a witness. All right? Verse 33. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the Elijah message is also a witness to the truth, folks. It's a witness to the truth. And that is the reason why, if you hold your place here, the two witnesses 
are going to be hated by the entire planet. Let's turn to Revelation because they preach the truth. And like I said, most people don't like the truth, folks. I know. I preach it myself, and people get offended at what I say, all because I quote the scriptures. So anyway, let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Verse 7, when they finished their testimony, after the 1,260 days, according to what the Bible says. Uh, verse 7, and when they have finished their testimony, their prophetic testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. And then for three and a half days, not years, some from the peoples and tribes and language and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb. And why? Why would they do this? Well, in verse 10 tells you, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. They hated their message. Instead of their message being a pleasure to them, it was torment to them. <laughs> it's just amazing that, that people don't want to hear the truth. And that word tormented in the Greek means uh, it's, it's bas anizo, bas anizo, and it means to torture, pain. So their message was pain to them. And of course they probably were wiping out people too because they had the power to to do a lot of things. So, But they, they did not, they were jumping up and down and celebrating because these folks were dead. Now, when you when you study the Bible, it looks like it's going to be two groups instead of just two individuals. I know people have been preaching that, but when you look at the description of the two witnesses, I'm just using the Bible here, and this is what I do. This is how I preach it. Any uh, preacher of God that embraces the truth is going to preach from the Bible, not put his own spin on it. And what it says here, Here's a description of the, of the, of the uh, two witnesses. Revelation 11, verse 4. These are the two olive trees. Now, there's a scripture that describes an olive tree as a human being. Hopefully I can find it here. Yeah, Psalm 52, verse 8. Psalm 52, verse 8 says, and I'm just using the Bible to interpret the Bible. It says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. So olive trees can be individuals, okay, based on the Bible. So he said these are two olive trees or two individuals, right? and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So where, what are the two lampstands? What are lampstands according to the scriptures? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Revelation 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, are the seven churches. So the lampstands, according to the Bible interpretation, are assemblies. So this scripture, apparently, according to the Bible, is saying it's going to be two human, two, two human, um, human beings and two assemblies. And maybe one of those human beings is going to lead one assembly, one is going to lead the other. I don't know. But I, I think the two witnesses are more than what we think, based on the scriptures. We'll see. I don't care who they are. I'm just saying that the Bible indicates there may be more to it 
than what we think, than what has been traditionally taught. What has been traditionally taught is, is Elijah and Moses, but I don't see a scripture that says Elijah and Moses. Okay, so anyway, let's get back to John chapter 5. So anyway, John, Yeshua stated, or Jesus stated that that John bore witness to the truth. So that's what his message was all about, witnesses to the truth. Verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp. So he was a burning and shining lamp, which is pretty interesting, isn't it? And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the words that the Father has given me to accomplish, the, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And then in verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And that's pretty interesting. He's telling you that you have never heard his voice, nor seen him. So who was the God that the Israelites saw? Well, the the God that they saw was Jesus in his spirit form. He was the Word of God. That's your only possible conclusion. Verse 38, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, and you... And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Boy, that's true. I experience that a lot. <laughs> Verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So that's it's pretty interesting. He talks about John the Baptist. And then Luke chapter 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Okay, so I've been called a demon before. All right, and when you support... God's message, the Elijah message, his message about reconciliation of families, his message about salvation, forgiveness of sins, being merciful, the way to peace, uh, of being a light to the world. If you do all that, you will be persecuted. It's guaranteed. And people will perhaps call you a demon. I know I've been called a demon before. And so was John the Baptist. And, of course, Christ in John chapter 8 was called a demon. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. So he came in the way of righteousness. He kept the Torah. Uh, hold your place here. Um, I want to turn to Luke here. I forgot to quote the scripture. significant about his parents. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, 
actually in verse 5, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, that's when the West Bank is located today, in the Middle East, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abaha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. In other words, he, he was a, a priest, and her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So John the Baptist was raised in that, and the Elijah message has a lot to do with keeping the commandments of God and all the statutes of God. I just wanted to show you that. So getting back to uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you do not believe him, but the tax collectors, and see, uh, many people did not believe John the Baptist. They didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. <laughs> so, so, and that's what's going to happen. I mean, people that, that are going to be repentant uh, more readily than people that are so-called religious are going to be the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And it says, e and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So, you know, that's unfortunate, but people are not going to be very receptive to the truth again. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And it's like, uh, you know, when I... When I when I preach, you know, people, they just go to sleep or it's boring to them. So that, that's the reason why God is going to allow judgments on the earth. He's going to allow catastrophes. I guarantee you people won't be sleeping at that time. And they're, they're going to take God seriously. But most people, they, they're, they're like that. They just don't take his word seriously until they're in pain or their their life is at stake or whatever, you know. Matthew chapter 11 Starting in verse seven, to me it makes sense to take his take his word serious now while you're in comfort. <laughs> Matthew chapter eleven, verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Verse eight. When then, what then rather did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. Verse nine. What? Then did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. So our Lord and Savior is saying that John the Baptist was more than a prophet. All right, so he was more than a prophet. Verse 10, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. So you have Jesus telling you that he partially fulfilled that prophecy in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And verse 11. Now, this is a significant scripture I don't think anybody really is, is emphasizing, so I guess I'll I'll just step to the plate and do it. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 11 says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So he's telling us that John the Baptist is greater than Moses. I know a lot of Jews will slap me in the face by saying that, but that's what he's saying. He's saying that, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. So Moses, as far as I know, was born from a woman. So he's telling you that John the Baptist 
was greater than Moses. All right? So, and I guess if anybody's the forerunner to somebody of God, he would be. And that's something I don't think too many people really focus on. And then he said, uh, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. But he did say that there was no other man that was greater than John the Baptist. And that includes Moses, folks. And I know I may get arguments about that, but I'm going by what Yeshua stated in his words. And he plainly stated that. So if you want to argue, go argue with him. I'm just telling you what he said. Even in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, Yes, I tell you that among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than Yochanan the Immersion. That's what he says. So if you want to argue, go argue with him. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 to 12. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? In verse 11, he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. He will restore all things. So that means even during that time, all things were not restored. All right? Verse 12, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And so, you know, Elijah suffered and he's saying the Son of Man will suffer. And then verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So you have proof that John the Baptist was a type of Elijah according to the words of Jesus. Now, as far as restoring all things, what is he talking about there? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 3. Actually, it's Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. says, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now, let's understand something. The forerunner, which uh, John the Baptist was, he started preaching repent, the kingdom of God is in hand. And then Jesus preached that. And he, he was killed, he was murdered, and he was resurrected. And then his followers his apostles, I mean his disciples, his apostles started preaching the same message. So it was all the same message. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until what? Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he's going to remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. One of those things is the temple being built again. Jewish tradition and this is correct tradition, it states that the Elijah is going to come to straighten out all matters. Of uh, He's going to straighten out all these doctrinal issues that, that we have. That's, one, that's going to be one of his responsibilities. See if I can find an actual quote from this book here. I was reading this chapter. Let's see. Yeah, right here, Elijah the Arbitrator. This is on page 141 of the Messiah text. It says, Our Joshua said, I am in receipt of a tradition from Rabbani Yohanan ben Zakkai, who heard it from his master and 
and his master from his master as a halakha of Moses. That's a judgment uh, from Moses from Mount Sinai that Elijah does not come to declare things impure and pure, nor to remove and to bring near or settle problems of purity of descent. Our shaman said, he comes to settle disputes. And the sages said, neither to, re to remove nor to bring near, but to make peace in the world. Okay, so that's going to be uh, his responsibility is, is to make peace, and that's, that's only confirmed from the scriptures that I've quoted you about that. So, I'm looking for another one here. Okay, that's the main one here, though, about Elijah. So, it says here in verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So, he's going to come back and he's going to be a part of this restoration process. Okay, so let's let's read this prophecy again in Malachi. And we should have a better understanding of it now. Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now that day, in the context, is talking about when Yeshua, or Jesus, lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers, or the minds of the fathers to their children, and the minds of the children to their fathers, that not I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. And that that word land should be properly translated as it is in the King James Version, the earth. And then also in the uh, JPS, well, actually the JPS doesn't translate it correctly, but I know in another Jewish version, is um, if you go to Chabad.org and look at the... Uh, the uh, translation uh, that is uh, produced uh, with Rashi's uh, commentary, which is a great Jewish uh, scribe or scholar, it, it says earth. So anyway, Colossians chapter, and let's understand now how families are going to reconcile. Let's turn to Colossians 3, verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children that not they become discouraged. And see, that's a big problem with many fathers today. They over-discipline their children. And you don't want to do that because it's not going to motivate them to want to obey. <laughs> you know, people do need motivation to obey. God gives us plenty of motivation. He says he's going to reward us if we do this, if we do that. And we should follow that example. We we should talk to people in a kind way to encourage them to want to obey. Nobody, let me give you an example. If you're working for someone and a person's screaming and hollering at you all the time or calls you names or makes you feel bad, makes you feel like you're a piece of crap, a piece of garbage, is that going to motivate you to obey them? Aren't you going to be looking for a job every day to get away from that boss? Of course you are. And there's scriptures in the Bible that tells bosses to treat their employees with respect. So the same thing it is with fathers and, and their children. Uh, 
you honor your children by respecting them as human beings and allowing them to make decisions that's not going to hurt them or anyone else. And that's what you have to do as they get older. And you know that sometimes they're going to make the wrong decisions, but you're going to have to suck it up. I mean, that's what God does. I mean, he sees people making wrong decisions all the time. Does he come and strike you with a lightning bolt? No, he doesn't. He allows you to strike yourself with a lightning bolt. Because that's what usually happens when you make the wrong decisions anyway. You curse yourself. And as parents, and particularly fathers, because fathers seem to have an issue more so than mothers with this, you're going to have to allow your children to make mistakes. You know, some some, some are more knuckleheaded than others. So, and I don't what I mean by knuckleheaded. They're hard-headed and don't want to listen. And so when when they make their mistakes, they'll learn and they'll realize, oh, my parents were right. And be And fathers, be willing to realize that you can't get into this attitude that there's nothing that my son knows that I couldn't possibly already know. That's that's a bunch of... <laughs> there's only one father that I know that knows everything. Other than that, uh, I guarantee you, your sons and daughters are going to learn some things that you don't know. Why? Because they're different, they have different personalities, and they're going to have different interests in you. And, and what they're interested in, you're not going to be interested in. So how in the world can you say that what their interest is, you know about it when you don't have any interest in it. Let me give you an example. If you have a daughter and she's interested in tennis and you never played the game of tennis, how in the world can you say you know about tennis? You know, fathers, you have to humble yourself. and some, In some cases, mothers too. You have to humble yourself to listen to your kids. It's like recently I was humble enough to allow my son to teach me how to play chess. You would believe a lot of fathers couldn't even do that. They just get offended by their own children teaching them something. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know. But but anyway, we need to work on that as fathers. Then Ephesians 6, let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 6, and children have a responsibility as well. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children. And this can apply to little kids as well as adult kids. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, what's, what's obedience in this word? What's, how's this word being used? It means to hear under, to listen attentively. Conform to a commandment or authority. It's like I was talking to my mother the other day. and <laughs> uh, She got a little upset about what I said, and then she said, well, I, I just want to, I don't want to talk about it anymore, and I stopped talking about it. I mean, I didn't do it right away, but I stopped talking about it. Because, you know, I respect our authority, and that's what God commands us to do. So, and I didn't want to upset my poor mother. So I stopped. You know, and that's something that we have to do, even as adult children. Uh, we should still respect our parents, and, 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 and some, and, well, in every case, as long as it's not disobeying the Bible, you should obey them. And if, if my mom wanted me to drive out here to help her and she had no help, I would, I would be on my way. Same thing with my dad. Okay. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So you should do it in the Lord, though. If they, if your parents are telling you to do something that's against God, you're not commanded to do it, as I'm going to show you today. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. So I've, I've taught my son many times, if you want to live long in the land, obey your parents. And then in verse 4, uh, similar to Colossians 3, verse 21, but it adds something else that's very important here. It says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger, 
And that and when you provoke your children to anger, you discourage them. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I've tried to explain the scripture to people that were close to me, and I, I don't think the thing that they notice here, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What does the word provoke mean? Provoke means to anger alongside, to provoke, to enrage. And you notice here, he's not blaming the sons when they get angry. He's blaming the fathers. He says, but bring them, and don't provoke them to wrath. Don't enrage them. But bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And most fathers, I can say this with with, uh, backing up by scriptural authority, and also uh, outside of religion, outside of the Bible, evidence that most fathers don't teach their children the Bible. I I proved that last week. They took the Bible out of the classroom uh, during the latter part of the 19th century, or early part of the 19th century, uh, or the early part of the uh, 20th century. John 8, verse 54. John 8, verse 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. But I'm reading this in the King James Version. It is my Father that honoreth me. So God the Father honors his Son. He magnifies his Son. And there's, there's a scripture in the Bible... It says we should honor everyone. Let me see if I can find it here. We should honor everyone. Yeah, I think it's in First Peter. First Peter or Second Peter. I'll find it here. Let me go look at my concordance. Somewhere. Here we go. First Peter two, verse seventeen, states, Honor all. We're supposed to honor everyone. That means fathers, sons, whoever. Okay, so we should have a respect for everyone. And this word is uh Timahu and it means to prize, fix evaluation on, to revere, to value. And, and everyone should should have value. God thinks us, he feels we have value. He created us in his image. And so fathers forget that. I find that many fathers forget to value their sons and daughters. They're human beings. They're not little um, little objects of, uh, to the venture of frustration and wrath on. As I saw that judge beating the beating his uh, daughter like that, 16 years old. I mean, he was just really, he was letting a lot of his frustration out on her, if you can see that. 
He was cursing at her and calling her names. That's an example of violation of that scripture in Ephesians 6, verse 4. She, he provoked her to anger. He provoked her to anger. And she wasn't encouraged to obey him either. Okay. Who would be being beat like that? All right. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, rather. I'm sorry. This is a prophecy that's telling you how deprived our, our society is today. So pay attention to this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. Verse 21, rather. Matthew 10, verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is because you support the Elijah message, which is God's message. Verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which they did, they called him a demon, how much more will they malign those of his household? Verse 26, so have no fear then, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And that definitely is a um, an accurate statement. And let's jump down here to verse 34. And this is something that many people don't understand, but I'm going to quote this scripture. It says, Matthew 10, verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, just like they're into their deceptive Christmas celebrations right now. And I know many of the, the Christmas songs, right, Sheree, is about peace, right, bringing peace. But what did Christ say here? He said right here, uh, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. So when he first came to the earth, he didn't come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household or family. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this is what he says, folks. This is his words in red letters. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And Hebrews 4, verse 12, gives you a preview of what this sword is all about. It has something to do with the word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is, is living, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when you have this sword, you have this sword going through families like this, it's going to cause division because some are not going to want to be examined like that, and some will. And that's what's going to cause the division. That has what has caused division among families because 
some in a family is going to believe what Jesus said in, the, in his word and going to live his life exactly or try to mimic how he lived his life, and some are not going to do it. That's what's going to cause division, and that was that has what has caused division. Micah chapter seven. For those who aren't familiar with Micah, is uh, after Jonah. Micah chapter seven, starting in verse one says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Joham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So this is the ten tribes and also uh, Judah. Verse 2, Hear you peoples, all of you, and pay attention. Actually, I'm at the right. No, it's Micah chapter 7. I'm sorry. Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, verse 1, Micah chapter 7, verse 1, Micah chapter 7, verse 1. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. Verse 2, the godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. This is similar to the language of Isaiah chapter 59. Verse 3 of Micah, chapter 7. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. This is a description of 21st century society. The best of them is like a briar, the, the most upright of them a thorn hitch. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in the neighbor. It's so wicked now, you can't even put trust in a neighbor. Now, you know, my wife and I have sensed this, and I, I've been sensing this for years, that people are reluctant to say hi to each other. They're reluctant to, to, to do anything because it's so wicked that how can you trust your neighbor these days? I mean, sure, I mean, we should do that, but I remember, let me give you an example. I was in this parking lot near Kinko's, and these two people came female and a male, and they wanted me to help them. I was getting ready to do it, and this guy warned me not to not to do it. And it, so I, I think I found out later on that these folks were up to something, you know. So it, it's just it's just a very wicked society, and, and God is telling us that. He says, put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. So you got to be careful about your wife even, he says, you know, and, and your mate. Uh, verse 6, and this is in the context of what he stated about uh, dissension among family. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. He got this from this chapter of Micah. Verse 7. But as for me, I mean, Jesus got this when he quoted it. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So he's describing a very wicked society, the kind of society we live in today. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 12 to 13. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, 
You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. So they've closed their eyes, so that's the reason why they can't hear. That not they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. He's talking about healing them not just physically but spiritually so they can think straight. Luke chapter 21. Verses 16. Luke chapter 21, verses 16 and 17. It says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. This has all got something to do with the Elijah message, which is really God's message. Remember, Elijah is the forerunner to God himself in the form of Yeshua Messiah. Micah chapter 3. I know this doesn't sound uh, spicy or fruity to you, but you know God's message is sometimes not spicy and fruity. It's just the truth, and you've got to listen to it. Like this chapter, you're not going to like what is said here by the prophet, but... Remember, the church is, is, is founded. Let's turn it out. Keep on quoting this. I want you to see it for yourself. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says, in verse 19, rather, Ephesians 2, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, which is built, in verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay? It's built on the foundation. If any of you built built a home, if you have any common sense, you know that if the house doesn't have a proper foundation, what happens? The house falls, right? So if I don't quote from the prophetic scriptures, the rest of your understanding is going to fall, and you're not going to understand the scriptures. So I have to quote off the prophets, because the prophets is part of the foundation of the true teachings of God, the assembly of God. So getting back to Micah again. Micah chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. This is a prophecy for the end time. Is it not for you to know justice? They're saying that because in most cases we don't know justice. Justice is doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing. You who hate the good and love the evil. Isn't that a perfect description of the way we are today? Uh, we, we, I remember me and my son looked at this abominable thing on CNN. It was the mayor of uh, New York, Mayor Bloomberg, a Jew, shame on him, marrying two men on the CNN network. There's many other things that, that we're doing that's just abominable. And the truth is not very well liked. And in verse 2 it says, You who hate the good and love the evil. We love the evil. We love gossip. We love talking about women that have naked. I mean, we, we love so much evil in this country and worldwide. And that's a perfect description of 21st century society. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. So he's talking about a particular nation today, <laughs> unfortunately, that oppresses their people. And 
the United States is that nation, folks. I mean, we have the widest gap of inequality of any other nation. We have the most rich people in this country. This Occupy Wall Street, it originated here in this country, even though it was uh, stirred up in Greece. I mean, we, we, we fit this description perfectly. We we lead the world in morality and, and, and also economics. Verse 3, Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. And verse 4, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He's saying the people that do this, then they're going to cry to the Lord when they get into trouble. He's not going to listen to them. I don't blame them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. God's not going to listen to you folks unless you repent. He wants you to repent, and then he's going to listen to you. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my knees of people who are preachers, like myself, who lead my people astray, who cry peace, when they have something to eat. So when their bellies are satisfied, they say everything's okay, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. And see, that <laughs> that's talking about contributions, giving them money. And, you know, when you don't give these folks no money, they have a problem with you, see. You know, and ministry is not about collecting money. Verse 6. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob, which is the ten tribes of Israel, actually all the tribes of Israel in this case, which I've said many times in this program, is... The modern descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel reside in the United States, Great Britain, the countries of Northwestern Europe, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. That's where they're at today. If you don't believe me, go to www.britam, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M as in mother, dot org, and find out for yourself. Verse 9. Here it is, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight who build Zion, which is in Jerusalem, with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Verse 11, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price, don't we, in this country? Its prophets or preachers or ministers practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. And then in verse 12, therefore because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins in the mountain of the house of wooded height. And it happened back then, and this is a prophecy saying that Jerusalem, according to the prophecies again, will uh, be uh, taken over before the coming of the Messiah. And this uh, taking over is going to happen during the three and a half year tribulation, the 42 months. That's revealed in Revelation chapter 11. And also Matthew 24. And Luke chapter 21 and Mark chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3. Let's 
Starting in verse 1, For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah, that means from the, all the tribes of Israel, support and supply, all support of bread and all the support of water. So the ability to take care of yourself is happening as I'm speaking right now. In the United States, worldwide, is slowly but surely happening, folks. Verse 2, The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms, and I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And boy, that's true. We have a bunch of people that have the mentality of a child that's ruling. I mean, the, the Congress, they can't even make, they can't even balance a budget. My son could do that. You know, uh, it's just ridiculous, you know. Oh, boy. Anyway, verse 5, and the people will oppress one another. That's the description of us as well. Everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will hold take hold of his brother in the house of, of his father, saying, You have a cloak. You shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. And that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. So he's prophesying a great, great famine in the land. That's what he's prophesying. Verse 8, For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech, they're having great economic problems in, in Israel too, in Jerusalem. Because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Verse 9, For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Now, what is the sin of Sodom? Hold your place. We have to understand what the sin of Sodom is. Most people think it's just homosexuality. I agree. It has something to do with that. But it's a whole lot more than homosexuality. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 16 to find out. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, number one, pride. Excess of food, number two. Number three, prosperous ease, did not aid the poor, number four. And they were haughty and did an abomination before me, which was, of course, was their homosexuality. So I removed them when I saw it. So not only is Sodom... Uh, not only does it represent homosexuality, it also in other sex sins, but it also represents uh, having pride, having more than enough, having an excess of supplies, which we do have in this country. Uh, we have prosperous ease. We're lazy. We look at five or six hours of television every day. I think it's four or five, six hours of television every day. That's still a lot of time. We, we, we are on our PCs almost all day. Okay, uh, We play games five hours a day. It's just ridiculous. I mean, we're in prosperous ease. But did not aid the poor and the needy. We don't, you know, we have almost close to 40, I think it's close to 47 million people now that are on food stamps. And our workforce, I think, is about 110 million people. And we have about 47 million people right now on food stamps. And the richest country in the world. And we have the most billionaires in the world. If that's not oppression, I don't know what is. So that was, those are the sins of Sodom. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 3. Verse 9, For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Verse 10, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, 
It shall be with him for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women, here's the prophecy of the Rosie the Riveter, the, the start of the feminist movement that has, been, has dominated this country ever since uh, after World War II. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. If you don't know what I'm talking about about Rosie the Riveter, just look it up on, on Google. You'll find out what I'm talking about. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you. That means the, the infants and, and the women. And they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Verse 13, the Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard to spoil the poor is in your houses. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. Verse 15, what do you mean by crushing my people by grinding the face of the poor? Oppression is all in sodomy, folks, declares the Lord God of hosts. Verse 16, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks. This is the description of the American woman, folks. I mean, really, because the daughters of Zion, and then of course in Zion, Jerusalem, they they look like Americans. From what I hear, is is uh, it's like it's like you in America, basically. When you're in Jerusalem, uh, the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantingly, with their eyes mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery. Of the anklets, the headbands, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, and the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings, and the nose rings, the festive robes, the mantles, the cloaks, the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a rope, and instead of a well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle. So he's predicting a war in the context of all this destruction. Verse 26, and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground. So that's what's going to happen to all these feminists, these women that think that they need to dominate men and rule society. That's what he's going to say is going to happen to you if you don't repent. And you don't like those words? Well, those are the words... Of God. I just read them to you. If you have a problem, go argue with him about it. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I've already read that uh, last week. And then Hosea 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. I read. Um, let's see. I think I'm going to end it right here because I think uh, my folks here are getting a little tired. <laughs> and it is Friday night. So I'm going to just sign off here, and looks like no one's going to be calling in. So if you do, number is 347-945-7525, 347-945-7525. If you want to call in, the number is 347-945-7525. I'll just wait for about a minute, and if no one calls in, I'm going to sign off here, get some rest, and for those who do keep the Shabbat or Sabbath, happy Sabbath. I'll wait about a minute.
All right, looks like no one, uh, I don't know if um, many people are doing their little shopping and so forth. I'm going to have my annual Christmas bashing show on here very soon in December. And um, what I usually do, I quote from the Bible and show you statistics of the majority of gifts that are bought. It's definitely not to help the poor. It's uh, to give gifts to other people they like and so forth. So, um you take care, and may God bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be on this program next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.